Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome to episode 48 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Hope you're all having a fantastic day. Thanks so much for tuning in from wherever you are in the world. Uh, today's guest is Mr. Steve Sin. So if you don't know who Steve is, he is the founder of Bluefish, which is one of the top personal concierge services in the world uh, and within the luxury industry. So he's worked with billionaires, millionaires, people from all walks of life um, to create once-in-a-lifetime experiences from hanging out with your favorite rock star to walking on the red carpet at the A-list Oscar parties to getting married at the Vatican to diving to the wreck of the Titanic. You know, These are just a few of the highlights of what Steve has been asked to provide for his clients and create once-in-a-lifetime memories and experiences. And so I loved this conversation with Steve so much because I've always believed that experiences transcend any money. Um, You know, we spend our money on material things. We might spend our money on a lot of different things in life, but ultimately the things that we always take with us to our grave are the experiences we have. And on top of that, the experiences we have with people in our lives. And so that's really the core concept of this whole conversation with Steve, where we start to talk about what makes moments extraordinary. How do we create more of this magic in our lives from, uh, you know, if we're not billionaires, how do we go about creating meaningful experiences? And we go down the entire train of thought around what makes an experience unique. How do we infuse more of those into day-to-day living? What is the mindset required to just go out and live extraordinary lives? And I mean, Steve came from absolutely nothing. You know, he used to be a bricklayer in the UK. And for him to be now living vicariously through billionaires and people who have seemingly so much in life and creating memorable experiences is a tale in itself. And it's a tale of hardship. It's a tale of transforming your relationship with failure. It's a tale of just somebody who believes so much in himself and has put himself on the line in so many different ways that he's almost changed and challenged his entire relationship with the concept of fear. And to, for me to be learning and interviewing somebody who has such a unique perspective on life about fear, relationships, experiences, from somebody who's seen it on both sides of the spectrum, this episode was filled with so many gems that I personally took away that not only inspired me to start living fuller on a daily basis, but also inspired me to live with more curiosity and use curiosity as a tool to unlock more in my life. Whether that's taking the wrong turn on the way to work or buying a piece of clothing or watching a movie or eating food that might be out of my comfort zone. This entire episode, I hope it inspires you to take your life by the horns and infuse it with surprise, delight, and wonder because we only live once. And if you're not wondering 
And if you're not living with a, with the zest and passion for life, you're losing out on a lot of what makes this life so beautiful. So I hope this, I hope this, uh, this episode inspires you. Steve is also the best-selling author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, which is a fantastic book. Um, but if you want to get in touch with Steve, just head to stevedsims.com. He's got a website. He's all over social media, so you should be able to find this man um, and his outspoken style for just inspiring people to live pretty awesome lives. And so anyways, hope you guys enjoy this episode with, with Steve. Uh, I know I did. Uh, but before we get started, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast uh, listening device so you can be the first to hear about new episodes that come out every Saturday. And leave us a review. Let us know what you like and don't like about the show. And yeah, let's get involved. And I hope you guys really enjoy uh, Steve and all the wisdom he shared on this episode. So without further ado, here is the incredible Mr. Steve D. Sims. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj, and man, I am looking at a pretty incredible dude on the other side of this screen right now. How are you doing, Mr. Sims? I am doing well, thank you, sir. I am uh, super excited to have you here. Um, you are a man of many talents, and I can't wait to, <laughs> to dive into the ones that I find particularly intriguing. But are uh, you, you having a great day so far? So far, so good, living up in uh, Southern California, so I can't complain too much. All right. Fantastic, my man. Well, I already introduced you to our lovely listeners. Um, and so it's, and it's been an intriguing intro just because you have so much in your life that I'm personally curious about. So I'm just going to dive in if that's all right with you. Go for it. Let's do it. Let's play. All right. Um, so you've worked with um, some pretty incredible people and, and have rubbed shoulders with a lot of different folks and lots of different experiences. Why do you think um, people who have it all are so intrigued by the experiences you create for them? That's a brilliant question. And it's even better that you opened up with it rather than the usual shit about how did you get into this and all that crap. So well done. Congrats to start. I'm, in, I'm impressed. Um, I think that it's not, it's not just the rich and famous and richer and unknown that are fascinated with experiences. I think we all are now. Um, I think we, we question a lot more nowadays. We look at things and we look at a watch that's $50,000 and we go, well, why? Let me join a club where I get to borrow one or there's no point in me buying that Ferrari. Let me just rent it for the day. So we're questioning a lot more now of the materialistic aspect, but experiences actually develop you, they define you, they refine your attitude, your perspectives. You go and do something in Egypt, you never come back the same person. You go and do something in Italy, you're a changed person for life. So yeah. the experiences out there now open your eyes, open your mind. They're also quite bluntly a pattern interrupt. And Tony Robbins from years ago, you know, told everyone about the pattern interrupt. You're working every single day. You're making shit tons of cash. You go away with your wife, your family, your loved one, your partner, and you do something that you share. It makes no it makes no difference if the next six months you're battling bankruptcy, lawsuits, failed marriage, failed relationship. You've always got that memory. 
you've always got that moment. And quite simply, they grow with time inside your head. I've sent people on stuff where it's been a rainy day, yet when they tell someone about it in a bar, they literally depict it straight off the bat that it was a beautiful sunny day in the south of France. And I'm thinking, no, it wasn't. It was actually pouring with rain. But that's how your mind has received it. And no one can ever take it away. You can't stick it on eBay. So I think people want more what they can feel, what they can be engaged with, what they can... Uh, be immersed with rather than they can stick on your wrist. Why are you so fascinated with delivering experiences? Because I'm a nosy little shit. Um, <laughs> and that, no, you, you hit it, you hit it right on the head. As an East London boy growing up in a brick lane family, um, it was always a case of there's them and us, you know, and the TV does a great job at six o'clock and seven o'clock every night showing you what the rich and famous do and what red carpet they're going down and where they're, they're jetting off to and how the other half live to just rub your nose in it that you're not. And as a young lad, I was kind of like, well, why can't I do that? And I suddenly found that there was no reason. The reason was always up here. And so I would just go up and get it done. And luckily I found a career where people were unconfident in a position of power uh, where they didn't want to ask because they didn't want to abuse that power, their relationships, their money. And so it suddenly become a niche that I, I could fulfill and I could be in. But quite simply, it's my, uh, it's my uh, way of being able to look up the skirt on so many different projects and experiences. The stuff I've done, I'm, I'm a whiskey-drinking biker from London. I've done duets with Andrea Bocelli in Florence. I've done cooking courses with um, uh, Wolfgang Puck. I've, I've traveled the planet. I've dealt with people that under no other career in the world would I have been able to do. But it's my, it's my desire to live an interesting life vicariously through my clients. I love that. That's a, that's a fantastic way to approach life in general. Um, why do you, or how, I guess, actually... I have, a, I, have a, I have a better question. In your own mind, why do you think or what do you think makes an experience something that's worth changing in your mind? Now, when I say that, I'm going back to the answer you just gave me about people experiencing something and all of a sudden um, they tell the story a little differently than the way they actually experienced it. What makes an experience worth changing? That, that is deep. For a start, it's always about the impact. Um, the key here is that if, for argument's sake, you had an interest with, um, I don't know, who's your favorite? Name a rock band you like or a music, musician you like. Uh, I love, uh, love Cascade. Cascade. All right, perfect. So you love Cascade. Let's say for argument's sake that I did a phenomenal experience with you and uh, Justin Bieber. Okay, where you got to hang out at a party and you were, you know, you were in Cannes Film Festival and you were with Justin Bieber and there's all the celebrities. That would be a moment that you had not been in. That had been an environment you had never been in before. So you're now gaining all of this different uh, visual sound. Take, you're, you're now in that lifestyle that up until then you had seen on TV. Okay, you would come back and you had been immersed, fully engaged and an experience that you didn't think you'd ever have before, okay? But 
if this was with Cascade, there's a relationship you have now. There's a, there's a love, a desire, a respect. It amplifies the, the actual experience completely, um, amplifies it tenfold, because you now have a, uh, a respect, or as I say, a love, a lust, desire, whatever, for this group. It sends it up, and therefore anything in that experience that is not to the level that you're feeling, whether it be weather, maybe the food they're handing out wasn't brilliant. You know, like when you go out with your buddies and you go to a, a, a crappy pub and yeah. you're having lukewarm beer and you've got some shit burger, but all the jokes are flowing, you haven't seen your boys for you. Isn't that the best night you've ever had? Yes. Okay. Yet, if you dissect it, those were bad elements to it. You didn't go, hey, this was the best night I had, apart from the bad beer, a terrible choice of whiskeys, the burger was manky as hell. No, you wrap it all up into that experience, you pocket it back here. Now, that was one of the best experiences you ever had. And anything that didn't live up to the, um, the overall experience, your mind actually escalates. You now will either not remember that burger, how bad it was, or alternatively, that's one of the best burgers you've ever had. And I've often said before that it's not the quality of, of whiskey that I'm drinking. It's the quality of person I'm drinking it with. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That is so powerful. Um, I love Boom. that. My I, love, drop. I love it. I love it. No, I, and I love that because it goes back to the importance and the ability that everyone has to create the same experience or the same connection to experience as it doesn't matter where you're really starting. So let me ask you something about good and bad experiences, because I think you brought up a good point. Um, how does one take or change the mindset or the way they view a bad experience in life, whether it's, uh, whether it's something that was intentionally planned, like a trip, or maybe even some sort of rock bottom experience that they may have had? How does one take these experiences and transform them in their own mind into something that actually becomes a part of their story that they're proud telling? They shouldn't. Um, is the easy answer to that because uh, if you've got if you've got four bad tires on your car, you can go and buy new tires. But if you're thinking about something in your head, you can't change that. You can't go to the the Amazon and and download a new program to make that emotion better. What you need to do is you need to dissect it. You need to re-engineer it. What elements of that? And I've had some, like all entrepreneurs some shitty experiences in my life. Yeah. The key is to reverse engineer these experiences to see where did they go wrong? At what point did that event, experience, relationship go south? Okay? And there's usually that tipping point, you know, that something happened. That's the moment you can go, ah, okay. Now that doesn't become a negative experience. It becomes an education. Okay, now a lot of the people that I deal with um, have one thing in common, and it's not actually the amount of money in their bank accounts. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the fact that they're serial failures. Every single one of my clients is a failure and a screw up 20, 100 fold. But they haven't allowed it to define them, they've allowed it to refine them. So every time something fails, you go, great. Where did that bottom out? Where did that lose it? Um, I had uh, um, an experience uh, that was actually um, very, without realizing uh, that it was coming. I, I'm a mad fan of motorcycles, if you haven't 
guest already. And I was at the MotoGP in uh, Texas a few years ago. And being the kind of cocky little person that I am, I had the VIP badges. You know, I could get everywhere um, other than basically racing the race. Um, and I'm in the garage, and there's a mechanic down there, and he's actually working on the engine. He's working on the crank casings. He's got the, uh, the, the fairings off of the side of the bike, and it's just the engine. And he's going through with a little light, and he's hitting it, and he's got these little gauges just to see if there's any cracks or things in there. Okay? Now, I'm annoying this guy. My head's over, and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's that for? So what are you looking for? And he has to humor me because i got sponsor badges on, you know, and the sponsors obviously pay for the team. And he's like, oh, I'm doing it. Oh, I'm doing it. He didn't want to talk to me, okay? So I kept pushing, and he turned around. And he said, I'm looking at the point of failure. He said, because the second I can find where the engine case is stressed, cracked, we can, pair, we can repair it and therefore get more speed out of it, all right? And it was the fact that in a piece of perfection, he was actually looking for the, the, the crack. He was looking for the failure point, not as a negative, but he actually would rejoice if he found it because this meant that he would be able to get an extra couple of horsepower out of that bike. It would be able to be refined. And I remember that moment. I talk about it many times before. Don't let it define you. Allow it to refine you. But that was a moment that I was actually visually introduced to what I teach my clients in a practical moment. He was celebrating if he found some way that it failed. Steve, I have a, a curious question on that note. Um, so I'm a, and I've always believed in, in experience that the more you focus on what you want, the more you focus on positivity, the more positivity you attract. Now, if you create and you have positive experiences and you're always looking for the downside or the failure point in those experiences, how do you balance the abundance that comes from just focusing on the positives as opposed to looking for negatives? Um, that's a mindset. And I'm not looking for the negative. I'm searching for the diamond. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm searching for the growth. I want to be better. I actually want to go around a racetrack better. I want to be a better husband. I want to be better with my family. By me searching for those elements that mean that it's not quite, I can eliminate that. And that is instantaneous growth, isn't yes. it? So it's not, that I'm, it's not that I'm fixated on the negatives. I'm, I'm focused on the ability of growth. And every time I find something that's not quite right, I can go... Excellent, brilliant, great. And that's where the positivity comes in because I've discovered it. It's like Indiana Jones. You know, you go searching for stuff. And like anyone that scours and, and digs through mud trying to find the diamond, you get scratches, cuts, and you're covered in crap. And then you find it. You never remember the fact that you're, you're cut and you're scratched and you're covered in crap. You remember finding the diamond. I'm looking for that diamond of growth. If I can find a way in my business where I'm, I've created a bottleneck, I've created a liability. If I can get rid of that, I've just discovered a diamond for growth. I love and so that's where it works for me. And and I love the the reframe. It's not necessarily being obsessed with positivity, it's being obsessed with growth, which oh, yeah. takes all of the all of the elements that come into it. How do you use experiences to grow personally? Uh, they grow me. Um, the most amazing Growth is one of those things that 
is beautifully lazy. Okay, if you go into an event, if you go into a star-studded uh, Oscar party, expecting you're going to come out of it at the end of the night with a bunch of celebrity friends, a bunch of selfies, front page on the papers, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go in there with, all right, this is not my usual you know, waterhole, I wonder how this is going to be. You're receptive. You know, they always say be the dumbest person in the room because then you naturally become the smartest. Um, so I love to go in there and go, okay, as the Nevada said, here we are now, entertain us. What's going to happen? What can I get? I love to go into a restaurant and look at the, uh, the appetizers and go, all right, I don't know what that is. I'm going to order it. And you've taken a risk on an appetizer, but you've also taken a risk on something that may actually become your favorite. So I, I try things. I push the gamut as much as I can to see what I can experience with no definite grasp in sight. I'm not there going, right, I need to experience this because the outcome will be this and it will do this to me. No, sit back, put yourself in a position of potential growth, put yourself in a position to receive, and that automatically will allow you to grow. But just, it's the reception. It's having those antennas open. It's like kids nowadays. Um, uh, I'll, you know, we travel a lot. I try to take my family. I'll be walking through Israel. I'll be walking through Rome. I'll be walking through, you know, Poland. And I don't allow my kids to be on the phone because as they're doing that, they're missing that. So you need to kind of drop that and go, okay, how many colors can you see? And get them to start looking around, get them to start to receive. I don't care what colors are around, but while looking around, they're going to notice the cathedral. They're going to notice that building that was destroyed in a war. They're going to notice that museum. They're going to notice that architecture. Without even acknowledging it, it's going to be in there. And as we all speak to kids after we've taken them on holiday, you know, you can take your kids on holiday when they're four or five years old. You're talking to them when they're eight, and they'll suddenly turn around and go, I remember that funny fish that we had in Spain. And it's in there. It's in and it just comes out. So that's how the experiences go in there, not to expect anything out of them other than for them to come in. I love that you use micro experiences to, to grow. Um, do they have the same, like, for example, like ordering appetizers? That's a very small, simple thing that somebody can do to, to essentially tap into that growth mindset or at least take a small risk and normalize the concept of risk. Um, how have you seen these, these small things lead up to bigger risks? Do you think that they're, 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 they're correlated and they're similar? The same relationship you have with small risks are the same you have with big? Or is there a difference in the relationship of risk between small and big things? I'm not quite sure if I ever see it as risk. I see it as a discovery. Um, and it makes me laugh because I went to, I went to Japan in uh, December and I took my family with me and there was a, um, um, a, a massive great center that had all the main shopping and everything in it. And then where our hotel was, and there was a street that went from point A to point B and we could literally walk down that street right into the, the Ginza area of the shopping area. And what I would do was I would never do that street. And my family, they get, they get annoyed until eventually they turn around and go, oh, I'm glad we did that. Dude. I will zigzag. I will literally walk down two blocks, turn left, walk back, cross the main street so I know I'm on my bearing, cross over again, walk down the street. So I will zigzag because without that, you wouldn't have seen the side streets. 
And during me doing that, we found these little restaurants. There was about two or three days. I was there for about nine days, two or three days. We never actually made it down to where we were headed because we got, oh, hang on, let's go down, let's go down, let's go down. And you discover more things and you weren't expecting it. You had to end up there. I just went a different route. And I will try my new experiences. Like if you go, if you go shopping, you know, and you know you need to go somewhere in the mall and it's in the mall turn right, go left. You know, just for arguments, just go left. It's going to take 10 minutes extra on your journey, but you never know what you may walk past. You never know who you may walk past. If you're in a store, try some food that you've never tried before. Try a restaurant that you've never tried before. If you've never, if you've never had Armenian food, if you've never had Russian food, Polish, uh, pierogies, if you've never had these things, try them. Because how the hell can you say you don't like anything until you've tried it? You may come out and go, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> um, but then you know what you are? You're qualified to be able to make that decision. I was in Japan, and there are some things I hope I never visually see again, let alone taste. But I'm qualified to know that those things are painful. <laughs> I like that. You're, you're essentially qualifying yourself to... Absolutely. To, to, to live life. Now, do you think those qualifications add up in, oh, in yeah. a way? Yeah, 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 they add up and you can see them. You can see the, you can feel it with you uh, personally inside, you know, the, the, this confidence to not be frightened um, because most people, most people are actually frightened not of the actual failure itself, but they're frightened of people seeing them fail. And so if you don't try something, how can you fail? But if you don't try something, how can you grow? Mm. And so it's, it's a natural holdback. I see it more in my kids because, as I said before, I've got three children. Um, each one of them was born in a different country. Um, my wife is British with me. We now live in Los Angeles. So we're very much United Nations. Um, but they will make remarks to the things they've done. And I'm not saying that, hey, you need to go and take your family to Poland. You need to go to Krakow. You need to go to the salt mines. No, I'm saying this weekend... Just take your kids to a flower festival, you know? Take your kids to a salsa competition. Take your family to a restaurant where you only eat with your fingers. You know, just try something that immerses you and takes you out of your comfort zone. Because the thing about comfort zones is once you leave your comfort zone, you never go back. You actually build a new comfort zone. And it grows and it grows and it grows. You get to a position where you can just be dropped into any scenario with any kind of person and not feel concerned about it at all. But you must get the fear of being seen to fail out of your head. That one's a terrifying one. Is that why you think people don't take left instead of going right? Do uh, you really? I've, got a, I've got a very painful story for you. It's a short one, so you'll be all right. Um, I was walking through a mall with my wife and um, in front of me were two guys and uh, in front of them was a very incredibly large woman, okay? And I noticed her because not only was she incredibly large, the fact that she had bags on her arms um, and she was carrying these bags, these shopping bags, and, but she was out like this, the way she was doing it, which only added to the girth of, of her presence. Um, <laughs> what I couldn't get over, what was fascinating me, was her arm strength. Because she had so many bags, they were literally digging into her arms as she was wobbling down the road with these bags. 
And I was like, you know, that's some kind of strength and balance there. This was going through my, my head. And all of a sudden, she tripped and fell down on her face. Now, she tripped, and because of where her bags was, she had no ability whatsoever to brace herself. She literally went down like that, flattened like a crucifix, and hit her head bad on the, on the marble flooring of this mall. Now, I quickly ran to grab her. No chance of getting there in time for her to, to stop falling. She, you know, she was easily 300 pounds more than that, something like that. So I don't know what I could have done, but I, I rushed in there to try and go. Thankfully, the two guys in front of me got there a split second before I did. But again, too late to actually stop her. Bang. You, you heard this slap as she hit the deck. Um, her bags went everywhere. Everything went off. And we, we literally kind of like, you know, got there and we're like, you okay? You know, let me sit. And she, she was like, oh, my head, my head. So, you know, we lifted her up and we sat her onto her knees. And then we quickly tried bringing the bags in so that they were by her. Um, and we were doing that. And all of a sudden, as she started to come around and the um, security guard came over and called in for medical, it was a big, big visual. Everyone was now crowding around. As she started coming to from this experience, she started looking around, kind of like, all oh, panicky. And I said to her, I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, have you lost something? Is there something that's missing from the pile here? Thinking maybe she lost her wallet, maybe she lost her phone, you know, her handbag, something like that. And she just, she was doing this, and I said, is there something we need to be looking for? And she turned around and she said, I just want to make sure no one was videoing that. Hmm. This girl... I, we never saw her after that. The medics came over. They put her onto a stretcher. She was sat upright, and they took her off. I swear, the way she went down, she was bruised in different places the following day. Okay? She could have broke something. She could have cracked her skull from the way that we, she went down. She could have seriously hurt herself so easily. Um, and I'm praying that she hadn't. You know, I, she may have been taken away, and maybe there, there was something. But she went down the side of her head. And all she was concerned about was someone videoing it and laughing at her later on YouTube or something. Mm. And that's the world we live in now. A lot of my clients pay me to get them into places and to get things done for them because of that position of power, authority, or, and here's the key word, perceived power and authority. They don't want someone either abusing that power in the future when they are owed a favor or actually saying no to them. Because the amount of people that go, yes, I had this rich person called me, but I went, no. I said no. It's almost like they're kind of using it as an advertising banner. Um, people don't want that, so they pay me to get in there and get it done. Because I really couldn't give a crap if you're videoing me or not. I'm all about the growth. And if it means I've got to fall over and scrape my knees and you know, bang my head and bash myself a few times, that's fine. But Elon Musk said to me once, they laugh at you before they applaud. Mm -hmm. And that was like, yep. And uh, look at how many times that man's failed with that rocket. You yeah. know, it you, the thing is, you can't remember how many times it failed, can you? No. But it was on the news where it would come down onto that, that ship, trying to land vertical, blow up into a spectacle, and we'd all go, oh, that's never. The second it landed, it doesn't make news anymore. Yeah. You have no more, I have no idea how many times they've been landing on that vertical anymore, but you only get to see the ones that don't make it, the ones that blow up. The second they do, 
Well, that's past news. He's sussed it. Let's move on and find something else to laugh at someone on. So people are scared, not of the failure, but of people seeing them fail. Mm, that is a, one, a very powerful story. Um, and I think it's telling just because it's not even that failure then is the problem. Um, because failure is, is, is not the, the problem. It's not the way you feel after you fail. Uh, cause rarely do you ever fail and you're like, oh man, I am the worst person ever. Um, you usually feel pretty good about your efforts or the fact that you put yourself out there. It's usually is judgment. So how do you change that paradigm and how do you change that, that, that need, uh, to, to be accepted while you fail or like, cause I think that is the, that's the trick, right? It's being okay with people seeing you fail. How does one go about doing that if they've never experienced that in their life? It is a tough one. And I would say this is where I've become unqualified to answer that question because I was an ignorant, low educated uh, morsel from East London. Um, so as I was growing up, I had nothing to lose. You know, as I was trying to do things, I, you know, I, I wasn't even qualified to be a bricklayer. Uh, yeah, that's what I was doing. So I was on a building site every day getting, you know, paid on because it was raining, it was cold, and I was getting cut up with on a construction site. If I failed to be able to do this with Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Elton John, Andrea Bocelli, any of these people, it would have been no surprise to anybody, you know, because they'd have gone, what are you expecting? You're a bricklayer, you know? So I had, I had nothing to lose. Um but the one thing I do fear is the people that don't have the effort to try, okay? The danger is never in failing. The danger is failing uh, to try. And you only fail when you actually stop getting up. Uh, I used to do kickboxing, and a friend of mine said, um, the fight's not over when I go down. The fight's over when I stop getting up. And the, these kind of quips, and it's funny how quips and quotes have actually become my education, um, but they have, and this is how I retain those kind of uh, ideas. I, for a start, always look at those that are judging me. And there's, there's this old saying, you, you, you've probably gone over the crab story before. Have you ever gone into crabs in your life? No, no, no I haven't. All right, so here, here, there you go. Here we go into National Geographic. Um, if you put a pile of crabs in, crabs in a bucket, they will stand on each other to try and get out of the bucket, okay? They will form a pyramid as they each try to grow, go up each other to get, into the, uh, get out of that bucket. The second someone gets to the top of the bucket, they physically will pull them back in because they don't like people leaving that pack, okay? The bottom line of it is whenever someone turns around to me and goes, oh, you can't do that, I first of all look to ask myself, why are you so confident I, won't, I can't do that? And what does it do to you if I do? And I find out 90% of the time that those crabs in my life. You see, when people turn around and say, you can't do that, Raj, there's no way that can be done. Nine times out of 10, they don't want to be proven inadequate by you doing it and proving them that they can't. Okay, mm. people, like, people like to go, yeah, they say misery attracts misery. You know, oh, I can't get out of this humdrum job. I'm never going to amount to this. I can't find that. I can't find an expensive car. I can't find a beautiful wife. I'm never going to get the respect and stuff I deserve. 
you're 100% right. <laughs> the second you're out there chanting all those banners, you're absolutely accurate. The second you slip the why in there, why shouldn't I have that? Why can't I have that? Why does this not deserve to be mine? The second you change that path, you change your perception, you change your actions, and you manifest it into becoming reality. Mm, gosh, man, that's like, and and the, and the crabs, um, that's it's it. That's it. That's why people glorify or make fun of failure. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the crabs, they don't want you getting there. It's we've created generations of them and us. And the hierarchy and the pecking orders. There are still cultures out there where there's class societies. In your head, there's still class society. You look at Elon Musk and you literally go, oh, and Elon Musk, you'll physically look up when you're talking about him. Or you'll go, oh, yeah, there's Elon. You'll put your hand up. You signify that <coughs> if someone's rich and powerful, oh, yeah, look at Elton. You know, look at, look at Richard. But you do that. Okay, you don't point your hand down and you don't point your hand on an even keel. So people are still have that in their head that those that succeed, they're beyond me. They're above me. No, they're not. They're just doing something because they failed a lot in getting there. And you should learn from that. And you can learn from that. But it's again, it's down to that receptive part. Are you receptive to learn by other people's mistakes? I had a... um, and tell me to shut up if I'm digressing, but last Saturday, my son and I went out because he wanted to get a BMX bike, okay? And uh, I said to him, absolutely. I went to a cycle store, and they had all these bikes in there, and I know nothing about push bikes. And uh, this guy came over talking about these BMX bikes, and he mentioned this brand, and he had this brand, and it was the only brand that they sold because it was the best one on the market, and that's why they sold it there. So I went, all right, fair enough. So I went back out. And I had a few people on my Rolodex that I knew were very heavy into BMX. One of them was an ex-gamer. You know, I'll be blunt. I asked some pretty superior people on, you know, hey, you know, my (laughs) boy's going to get in a BMX, you know. And the good thing is my Rolodex is quite tasty. So I was able to send three texts going, is this brand any good? Is this brand any good? Is this brand any good? One of them didn't respond until about two days later. The other two came back with, what are you trying to do? Is it for you? Um, there was the remark that I'm too fat for BMX um, <laughs> until I pointed out that it's actually for my son, you vicious evil bastard. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, so then what happened was they came back to me with all this advice and one of them asked me where I was. I told them where I was in LA and they sent me map, uh, you know, this Google map to where a store was that had the better choice. Okay. So I went, okay, fine. So I got in there, went to this place he actually phoned up the store and said, I've got my boy coming over there, look after him. And we walked away with the bike. Okay. The key is I knew absolutely nothing about BMX bikes. I was in a position of always being receptive to those that know better than I. So I put myself in a position to grow from that information. I contacted three people that were qualified to give me an answer. This sent me 30 minutes out of my direction to get a bike that I never, ever would have been able to Google. You don't need to have all of the answers to grow. You need to have the ability to be open to listen to those that know more than you. Let me ask you something, Steve. On that front, you know, 
When I find somebody I admire, I tend to believe that everything, I try to learn as much as I can from that person, but that usually transcends one thing that they're really good at. How do you build the awareness to know that, hey, I should be learning this from this person and then this from that person and then this from this person and then a lot of stuff just from my own experience. Like, How do you start to distinguish between who you need to be learning from and what you need to be learning from, from each individual person that you're admiring? So the first thing you need to do is understand what gives you your 5%, what makes you your unicorn, okay? And uh, one of the exercises I go through with my consulting clients is to discover their unicorn. And it's a very, very simple test. Everything I do is remarkably stupid and simple and easy, okay? So you get three circles and you daisy chain them, okay? The one on the bottom, you do everything that you do, okay, that isn't isn't that satisfying. You're not very good at it, but it's stuff you have to do in your life and you do it. The next circle is everything you're competent at doing. You know, you may not like doing it and it may not be something you excel at doing, but you're competent. The top circle is everything that that is your 5%. What's your magical little nut? I am shit at accounting. I am shit at writing out itineraries. I'm crap at PowerPoints. I'm terrible at so many things, but I'm brilliant at communicating a passion between two individuals. And so everything that's in those other circles, now you've identified where your unicorn is, outsource the rest, okay? And get people within your team to do stuff that you're competent at or not even very good, but you do. That gives you more time to do your 5%. You've discovered what your magic seed is. Okay, when you meet people, ask them, what's your unicorn? Mm. What's your 5%? What are you absolutely brilliant at? And the amount of time, especially like people that I've met through Singularity University and through Google and through Silicon Valley, they say, I dream bigger than others. You know, if you look at Steve Jobs, one of the greatest things that I ever discovered from Steve Jobs, which everyone knows, The guy can't write a line of code, Mm -hmm. okay? But he could dream the interface and the user experience of the computer, the drag and drop, you know, the simplicity of the program. But he couldn't write it. He didn't need to write it. He saw it. Walt Disney, same thing. Couldn't build, not an engineer. Why do you need to be an engineer? Just dream what needs to happen and then find those people to make it happen. So when you meet people, find out what that unicorn is, and it will be different things. It should be different things. Because if 20 people have the same 5%, it's no longer that 5%. It's no longer what makes them a unicorn. So find out what they excel at. Never look at their weaknesses and never focus on your weaknesses. And if you focus on your weaknesses, as Dan Sullivan says, you end up with really strong weaknesses. Hmm. So ignore them, get someone else to do it. When you're speaking to someone, go, well, what do you do? I write books. Well, that's interesting. What element of the book writing do you do? Well, actually, I don't write books. I lay books out. You know, I find people that can give me a good story. I find people that can write the story, and then I lay it out in a way that you're going to be able to enjoy it best. You know, you find out what that placement is. And so that's what I do. I, I will quite often, and let's be blunt, it's also a very good uh, cocktail opener, isn't it? You walk oh, up and yeah. go, hey, Raj, how you doing, man? What's your unicorn? And they go, oh. what? what makes you <laughs> special? You know, so I, I, would, uh, I would ask people directly and then focus on that. 
I love that. Uh, and I'm actually going to totally steal that. Now I want to ask you, um, as your, what's the most interesting 5% that you've ever learned someone else had that you didn't really know existed? I, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, actually I'll answer it in a slightly different manner. Um, you meet a lot of people and you assume that 5% is X only to discover that it's completely Y. And the biggest thing that surprised me once I started getting onto the speaking circuit was how many of these confident, um, overwhelming stage present speakers were shy introverts off. And they knew they had a message to give. And they wanted to give that message. And that message benefited them financially, but got the message out there to build up that growth. If I'm charging someone consulting and it's four grand a month, and now I'm making 12 out of it, I'm not going to feel guilty because I've just enabled you to be able to do that. And so these people will go on stage and put themselves in uncomfortable positions to be able to do what's necessary. And that's what's kind of interesting me to find. So, and I won't name names, um, but to find these speakers, I look at them and I go, wow, your delivery, your, your presence, the way you actually do that. Hey, your 5% is your showmanship in how to be able to get out there. And then when you've seen them go on stage beforehand and come off stage now, and now that I'm kind of very proud and honored to be sharing the stage with these people, just how little kitty scared they are before and after. It's, it's quite, it's quite uh, remarkable how they've been able to do that. Uh, that's begs another question for me. Do you think that, are you afraid when you jump into doing things that are in your 5%? I'm not afraid of anything. Um, I get nervous and I get wary. Um, and if I'm still on the edge of a volcano and I go, Hey, should I jump into that volcano? Thankfully, both brain cells clicking at the same time and go, <laughs> no. Um, so I would say as my years have got, as my years have, have grown, the experience of failures uh, will give you that, that, that confidence to know what you can go in for. And I know through many times in my life, my wife's got, how did we get out of that? You know, and they say experience, again, one of my annoying quotes and quips, experience is something you get two seconds after you needed it most. <laughs> if you trip over a curb in your local schoolyard, the chances are you'll only ever trip over it once. You may trip over another curb, but experience will always subconsciously teach you that, hey, that can, so that's a growth. All of these experiences, all of these failings, all of these failures, all of these discoveries give you a very logical uh, approach to, okay, yes, I can go into that because it's similar to what I've done before and that worked and I'm going to go and do it. And if it doesn't work, then you go, that didn't work, reverse engineer, where did it go south? Ah, I went south there. Let's try it again. And you grow from it. So I wouldn't say that I'm frightened of anything other than the fear of actually not trying it. That's what scares me. The, the, the fear I have, um, fear is a great driver. If I go into a room and I go, hey, who would like $10 million? Run out the back door now. How many people in an auditorium do you guess will actually run out that back door? A lot of people probably die. <laughs> okay. But how about you jumped onto the stage and you yelled out one word, fire. How many people do you think would run out of the back auditorium? Oh, brilliant point. 
You see, the point is we, we're propelled more by fear than we are by pleasure, okay? You walk past the hedge, something rustles, your instant reaction is guard up, step across, look at what you're analyzing, is it a fight or flight situation, okay? So what propels me is the fear of not trying, the fear of this, mo- this time next month, not of growing, not of learning something, not of scratched, scarred myself, that didn't allow me to grow and experience and feel anything further. My greatest fear is being in the exact same place. And my life is bloody rosy. I've got a wonderful life because I've made that life. And me and my wife have got a fantastic life. But I can tell you quite honestly, if I'm in the exact same position with the exact same bikes, with the exact same food, in the exact same clothes, this time next year, with not one experience in between, I have failed on a gargantuan rate. Man, that, that analogy about fear having like the same fear that gets you excited or the same energy that gets you excited is the same energy that gets you scared. So it's ultimately a choice. They are um, the same thing. They are the same thing. And you know, that's why you know, I've always, I use this analogy a lot, but it was, you know, if a broadcaster goes to an Olympic athlete and asks them, are you scared? the Olympic athlete will always say I'm excited Um, because they don't recognize. I mean, when you project your own fears onto someone else's experience, do you find that you do that a lot? Whether it's you, you putting yourself in someone else's position and, and, and comparing your 5% to theirs. Do you ever get into a position where you're trying to, as in this life of living vicariously through people, do you ever feel like you put yourself in someone else's shoes and then, and, 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 and how does that relationship work with yourself? Um, I do put myself in their shoes all the time. Uh, again, some of the experiences that we've mentioned, some of the people I've worked with that I've mentioned, there should have been no logical reason whatsoever that I should be in that circle. None at all. Um, but I am. And I only do it by stepping into other people's shoes. There's a, a thing that we say that um, we've never, ever given a client what they asked for. We've given them what they wanted or needed. And you can only do that by getting into their shoes and actually, again, reverse engineering why that request is so important to them. And once you can actually find out, well, what's that, what's that tipping point? What is it that makes this experience that they've asked us to create, this goal that they need to meet, what makes it so vital? And then we find out, well, it's because of these elements. Then we can go, ah, okay, pivot. Let's give them what they want and need. And so I've never, in 25 years of running my concierge firm, and I've about seven, eight years of running the consultancy side, never given any person what they asked for. <laughs> and how does, has, have you ever had any backfires? No, no, because... Um, Again, it's down to this failure. You know, I wrote in the book about ask why three times uh, because uh, you go up to someone and you go, hey, what do you want to do? And they go, oh, I'd like to do this. The first reaction is usually one that's very blasé to impress you with their answer. Who would you really like to meet the most? And someone goes, oh, well, I better think of something intelligent here. Uh, It better be Albert Einstein. It better be, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary. It better be Elon Musk. It better be you know, Tesla himself, you know, I've got to sound intelligent here. It could be that best mate that died. It could be that mum. It could be that high school teacher that made an impact on you. But 
that's that answer is not really going to carry any kudos with you, is it? It's not going to make you look at them and go, oh, that's a brilliant one. So you let them get the first answer out and ignore it. You didn't even hear it. You know, who would you want to meet? And let them just go, blah, blah, blah. And then you go, <laughs> great. Why, why that person? Okay. And they go, well, you know. So why would you want to do that? Is there anyone else in your circle that could actually evoke the same experience, emotion, uh, um, power within your, your, your passion? Is there anyone else that maybe you've even come in close with? Well, actually, there was a high school teacher that did this, and she's always done. So let me ask you this. How would you feel if I organized you to have, and this is just you. This isn't a selfie moment for Insta Perfect World. Would you want to have lunch with that high school teacher just to say thank you? Or Elon? You'd be amazed at how many people would actually go for the high school teacher. I love that, man. That is such a grounding. Um, it, it goes back to what I mentioned in the beginning. What I find so fascinating about the experiences you provide is the fact that everybody has the ability to create these moments in their own lives. Because well, well, how many? I'm sorry to cut into your pal, but how many times in this entire conversation, and I urge everyone to rewind it, listen to it again, have we spoken about cost? Zero. Emotions don't have to come with a price tag. Emotions have to come with impact. You get the right impact, and you can create an impact by just playing a certain tune in a car, or by serving a certain meal, or by dancing with someone on a certain day to a certain tune, which was the first tune you met them with. There's no price tag on that, and nor will there ever be one that can replicate it. So don't focus on the price tag. Focus on the impact. Oh, man. That is such a badass way to uh, just wrap this conversation up. Um, Steve, my man, I am uh, grateful and privileged to know you. Uh, I'm just, I, I really appreciate all of the insight, man. So if people, and I know people are going to want to get in touch with you. So how <laughs> do we get in touch with you? How do we be a part of your world? How do we support you? Um, and just, and just, like I said, get on the, get on the train, man. All right. So this is where I do my self-promotion. The first thing you can do is not be frightened to fail. Okay. By more people in the world not being frightened to fail, you create a world that I personally want to live in. All right. Secondly, get over to stevedsims.com. Subscribe to my newsletters. You'll get my tip sheet on uh, Blue Fishing, which is the book that I wrote. You'll also get a video called The Chug Test, which is uh, quite a successful video on how to remove the cancer and the assholes from your life. But if you're not going to do any of the subscription stuff, just, just start challenging yourself with that different appetizer or that different way to work in the morning. But just try something new and different. Get out of your comfort zone and invent a new one. Love it. Love it. Steve, I have one last question for you. Um, in the midst of everything you've achieved, where you've come from, from humble beginnings to where you are now, and how you continue to experience life, how do you stay grounded? Um, by focusing on what's real and what's not shiny. Um, it's very easy to get uh, a bit blown up by being next to someone, getting a selfie with someone, being at the same dinner table with someone. But at the end of the day, 99% of people that I've ever met have been sued, been broke, have had to hustle to keep the lights on, uh, have had troubles and issues. Uh, and as I said to you before, are serial failures. Um, and that's where you start to find the substance. So look for the substance in the shiny stuff. And if there's no substance in it, ignore it. Hmm. 
Love it. Sound advice, man. Ah, Steve, big fan. Um, I, uh, I hope to administer that chug test with you in person one day. Um, and, uh, no, man, I, like I said, super, super grateful. And everybody who wants to get in touch with Steve, just head to stevedsims.com. We'll make all these links available on the site as well, but everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of stay grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Steve. And from us, stay grounded. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.